well. Uh, hello, Internet. Here we are. My name is Hafiz, and I'm with... Yeah, he's with Adi today, as usual. As usual. Uh, well, the last time you probably heard from us in the Copy Time Council, we were actually in the radio station. So, of course, we sound very clear there and was very structured. So, but today, it's going to be very casual, yeah, Adi? Yeah, definitely. It's been a while since we've done this, though. Uh, yeah, it's a long overdue. It's a lot happening since we last uh, did our uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, from, from America, Europe, uh, even in Asia, a lot of, even in Malaysia right now, like... Uh, uh, maybe we can start something from Malaysia first. Uh, something domestic issue, Adi? I guess the issue that's in everyone's mind for now is whether or not the elections are going to be happening uh, at any time this year. So, what do you think of this? Do you think it's going to happen? Well, uh, uh, Dr. Ahmad Maslan already said it's going to be uh, this year. So, uh, that, then definitely yes. I don't think. I don't think because. Uh, some people say, "Oh, it's gonna it's still gonna be the prerogative of uh, uh, Agum to 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 actually give consent." But I think Agum would would just do what he stole. You know, not gonna be a middling monarch in the middle of uh, in the middle of this uh, political crisis. So I think very very likely it's gonna be happening uh, in November. I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, we did run a poll about when do people hope that the election is gonna happen. A lot of them answered it was either going to be end of uh, this year or it would be in the middle of next year when uh, it's time for the general elections to be called. But don't you think it's a bit... It doesn't really make sense for anybody to hold an election at this time. I think the opposition has been quite vocal in saying that, oh, now is not the best time because it's the monsoon season, so how is anybody going to get to the polling stations if it's flooded? And I feel this is more of a play from uh, Zahid's camp because he was just recently... Uh, Freely been freed due to his uh, court cases, and now he's a free man and able to do what he wants. So that could be some sense of zeal from their side to push for elections, and extremely confident apparently. But uh, other than that, it doesn't really make sense for them to call for an actual election so early. So what makes you think that they have this um, reasoning, this whole imperative to call for, it, other than just oh, boleh menang lah ni, rasa boleh menang, stuff like that, please. Well, I think uh, uh, number one is Zahid still not free, totally free yet. He still has uh, 47 uh, uh, charges uh, on him on the VLC uh, cases. So he's not totally free, man. He get rid of the uh, 40 charges. So that's well done. Half were there. So we still uh, he still need to wait for the other 47. So I think that's a big, again, uh, a, a, a big a problem for him to, to tackle. And secondly, is because I don't know how you're going to see it, but I think the uh, by-elections, the, I think the last two by-elections, can, can I, I can see as uh, uh, giving Amno, putting Amno in a full sense of security. So, you know, these are very, uh, these are the, uh, what they said is, uh, you know, uh, the, the momentum of the rakyat. Inilah the 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 time that we need to be uh out all out and everything so it's 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 not wrong for i'm not to think that the uh the, the the rocket is with them and definitely they don't want to waste this in 2022 because they know day by day the supporters will be declining and they don't want at all costs they don't want to do this next year. so these two reasons are different. 
But I think it goes also for the same for the other side of the camp, isn't it? Because the opposition hasn't really had a strong or stable foundation uh, in the past few months. And I think in recent cases, in recent memory, I've noticed that the opposition has not really had that much ammunition to fire against the current Prime Minister, Isma Sabri, because um, from what I've seen, he's quite uh, diplomatic and quite gracious with how uh, the the demands that the opposition has made, like don't catch out the case with uh, former Prime Minister Najib, or the L- allowing for the LCS investigations to go uh, undebated. So, I mean, it's a it's a really calming time to be honest. There, where the boat isn't really rocked at the current moment, but uh, yeah, it does. It's a uh, it's it was it's a nice uh, breath of uh, change of pace to be honest to see in how uh, Malaysian politics is going. So I think this is just going to upset everybody. It's going to have a huge uh, implication, especially for supporters turning up if the monsoon does bring about floods to the polling stations. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that will be interesting to see. But it's not unprecedented. I think in 1992, if I'm not mistaken, we did uh, general election. The general elections uh, were held in a monsoon time. So there was definitely rain and it was back then. So you can you can understand that the technology the the the, uh, the challenges that they have they, there's no there's no WhatsApp back then so how do you communicate uh, you know in terms of uh, election commission to to mobilize their team so these are also uh, something not unprecedented it can be done it can be done in the past it can definitely can be done in this uh, 2022 so 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 the myth that uh, Zaid say I'm I mean, I'm in, I mean, uh, inclining towards him in that in that specific issue. That is just a myth that uh, flood will ruin uh, uh, an election. But of course, uh, like uh, Dr. Zaharin, he, he also said the other day that that gonna cost uh, that actually cost his uh, sacking from Amno when the the top five just uh, met the other day. Uh, Dr. Zaharin said that uh, Zahid is bodo because they don't think of the rocket because uh, they won't be going out to the vote to the voting session because they are stuck in their house they're stuck with their belongings trying to save for their dear life so i think this is also both sides are true uh, it could uh, but the opposition got to leverage on this that to to, to portray uh, 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 portray an image that uh, amno is uh, heartless not thinking about uh, the rocket situation yeah, I guess that sort of sets the tone for uh, how Zahid does respond and how he plans to move forward. I mean, sacking uh, Omno man, someone in that position, just because of criticizing uh, a very uh, concerning reality that I think a lot of people are having, uh, I think it does really set the tone for where they're going. But in terms of um, Malaysia, I think we also have other things that we can bring up to discussion, like... Uh, Tell us, Hafiz, what's happening in Malacca and what is this whole mega project that's uh, brewing up between Malacca and uh, Indonesia? All right, for the for the background of the issue here, Dumai and Malacca link that been proposed recently by the uh, Chief Minister of uh, Malacca. It's not a new thing. It was uh, already proposed in the early 90s by Rahim, I think by Tan Sri Rahim Tamicik, uh, that they first proposed this uh, mega projects uh, so of course back then it was inspired by the english channel the the euro tunnel uh, that link between uh, uh, france and england uh, of course there's a lot of uh, malacca dumai is not 
English channel. I mean, Malacca, uh, Malacca Strait is not English channel. Of course, there's different. Uh, the lack of uh, studies that being done uh, also a bit concerning uh, by some NGOs, activists, and also the environmental effect that it could pot potentially uh, pose to the surrounding uh, uh, marine life and whatnot. So this is a great concern and need to be addressed by the government. But having said that, I also come across with some arguments by the uh, uh, certain uh, NGOs and activity, uh, uh, activists that seeing this effort as a silo project between Malacca and Dumai. I think that's a great mistake that when you see uh, a mega project like this that could just benefit Malacca and Dumai. This is not about Malacca and Dumai. This is about greater than Malacca and Dumai. It's, it's potentially about two nations, Malaysia and Indonesia, to benefit economically, uh, culturally from this too. And also the bigger picture that I can see here, China will be interested in this too, to make their uh, uh, Road and Dog initiative uh, successful because, you know, ECRL is already happening, starting from uh, uh, Peninsula and then Thailand part. And then we ha they have come up, uh, there's someone proposing this project to connect uh, Peninsula Malaysia with Sumatra, the largest island in, in, uh, in, in Indonesia. So what's not to like in terms of China? So in terms of uh, funding, the government of Malacca uh, would say that, no, they say it's going to be from private sector. I think they should look to China to fund this project because it's definitely going to benefit China the way that ECRL will benefit China. So it is in the interest of China doing this and also people Malaysia and Indonesia. Indonesia also, I think, today said that it is not their priority to do because, of course, uh, uh, Indonesia already put in place a lot of uh, uh, infrastructure initiative by Jokowi late on this year and uh, last year. So they already spent a lot of money, a lot of debt to, to, to fund all these uh, tolls, highways and whatnot. Of course, this is not going to be their priority, but we should not see this as, a, as, a, as a one uh, very, very isolated case. We need to involve all... Uh, uh, state or non-state actors to involve in this project. And uh, with that, I think it should, it should be uh, something uh, exciting to see. Oh, what do you think do about agree. this? I do agree that's very exciting. I mean, linkages between two countries is always opening up a lot of exciting uh, business prospects and a lot of uh, commercial activity in terms of its uh, potential. I mean, look at Sabah. We're also mulling over that idea of trying to connect uh, more connectivity between Sabah and Kalimantan. So it would make sense also to see that other states pursue that avenue as well, since uh, Indonesia in itself as an emerging market would present a very viable opportunity. But let's uh, try look at this from uh, the standpoint, let's see, we made a comparison between the English and the French when they built the uh, tunnel, the connecting through the English channel. But the, I think that they've mulled through that idea for like many, many decades, and they've always kept thinking about maybe it's time to connect or find some way to connect. And that took a lot of lot of time before we actually saw a lot of uh, political will to actually start with that project. And when you mentioned like lack of, con uh, lack of studies, I also find that a bit concerning because if you're going to proceed a project on this magnitude uh, or this kind of scale, I think a lot of uh, due diligence is uh, really needed. And there hasn't been a comprehensive study before this whole uh, linkage between uh, Malacca and for Malacca and Indonesia. And the whole 
if that's the case, then I think we have to tread very carefully because the English and the French, they took at least four years for this, for just to, for a complete study for the linkage in the, for the linkage in the English channel. Yeah. So what about uh, what really can we see in terms of prospects between Malacca and Dubai? Do we know the demand is there between uh, Malaccans and in Malaysia and for Indonesians in Dubai? Is there really a uh, demand for that kind of uh, infrastructure project? Because the I think they have one ferry service between Malacca and Dubai, and that's only once a day. They only have that ferry service once a day. And I think for about a year on average, they only have about... I think in the rough, uh, I think if I remember correctly, it's about 700,000 or 750,000 uh, people that use that ferry service. So we need to also examine if there's really a demand for these kinds of linkages. Is it really that important to have this when we can be shifting our priorities to other uh, linkage projects such as, you know, for me personally, you know, Sabahan, I really hope more uh, concentrated effort is put into linking Sabah and the rest of Kalimantan, but that's just me personally speaking. But that that's what my concerns re really are here is that there, is this just another white elephant for people to profit off of it and i think another point i want to make here is that yes it's uh it's it's we have to look at it at how it's structured it's a conversation it's an agreement between the like the malacan state and uh, the representatives in uh, dumai i think they use uh provinces or regions or i'm not sure i forgot how the structure works in Indonesia, but uh it's on the sub-governmental basis uh, where they interact with each other. But if we compare it back to the English and the French, it wasn't just like um, the south of England and the north of France having this conversation. It's a conversation between two countries. It was between the UK and the French uh, governments. So is there, why haven't we seen that kind of um, mo uh, mobilization between uh, the Malaysian government and the Indonesian government? That way, I think it allows for more coverage and allows for more avenues for scrutiny to see if this project is going to be something that can benefit us as a nation, not just uh, the states, but as for the country as a whole. So um, it's exciting, yes, definitely. But I think there's still a lot of concerns here that before I can actually throw uh, full confidence into it. But um, like you said, there's whole geopolitical implications as well. It can open up for China to penetrate its markets. But maybe I would disagree. Maybe I wouldn't want uh, see, want, want to see China becoming more and more involved in um, holding uh, parts of bigger shares, you know, but possibly having bigger shares of the markets within this region because we've seen that before that uh, any kind of uh, monopoly uh, would never be uh, conducive for a competitive market environment. So I'll just leave it back to you. I'll leave it at that and you can make up what you will of it, please. Uh, uh, if, if I may just respond a little bit on what you have said. The first one, the lack of studies and uh, uh, yeah, the lack of studies that are being done is, I think, it's simply because there was no uh, political will to, to appoint a contractor or whatever to invest uh, some of money to conduct a proper studies. You know, studies are not cheap. It it has to be it has to be done properly, and it will cost money. And no one, no private company, would just do it. Uh, Willy nilly, just hey, let's do some studies on is it is it is it uh, feasible? Is it viable? This uh, Dumai Malacca link? Of course not. It has to start from politicians, uh, especially between two governments, to appoint uh, 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 a contractor, a company, and then they can carry out a proper study. That's number one. Number two, uh, you mentioned about how uh, 150 people use only one ferry a day 
within within a year is just seven hundred thousand. I think this is a misrepresentation of data here because currently that ferry serves only people from Dumai and Malacca, those who are interested in nearby areas. So if if I'm from Dumai, I I don't want to go to KL, I don't want to go to Juhel, so I want to go to Malacca. That's my way of transportation. It's going to be nearer and it's probably cheaper. When we do link a bridge, it will open up to everything. If I'm from Dumai or I'm from Medan or Aceh, I can go to Johor using my own car. So this open up 10 or 100 times full of uh, potential users. So in that sense, economic sense and uh, usability, I think there's a market for that. In terms of China controlling a monopoly, this, I think it's already too late. Uh, we already say yes to a lot of uh, <laughs> mega projects. So I guess we might as well uh, do more with uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, CCCP. So yeah, that's about uh, Malacca and Dumai. I think we can have to say. Yeah, uh, there we go. I think um, we both have uh, disagreeing opinions on this. Like, I, I appreciate the optimism, and I do hope to see that does come into fruition. But I think only time will tell uh, whether this whole uh, linkage will happen. Will it become a land bridge, or will we do something like the English Channel, which is going to be an undersea tunnel? So that yeah. imagine like a train a train service between uh, Malacca and Dumai an undersea tunnel that would be quite a feat of engineering and i think would also have us an opportunity to put uh local labor local talents in the terms of labor design engineering architecture uh into uh, a lot of um, exciting opportunities there but okay so we move from um, malaysia to something isolated from uh, entire malaysia into the state of Malacca and Indonesia, that's quite regional. So um, where else can we go from here? Where other places can we go from uh, just the surrounding region? Let's talk about uh, what's happening around the world. Uh, here now, uh, UK is in quite a serious uh, place right now. It seems to be having going through what people are calling an economic crisis and what a, uh, how do you say, what a time for it to go through such a, uh, massive event in history, considering that they've also just lost their longest reigning monarch. So this UK economic crisis, uh, what do you think of this? Well, since the announcement by the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Cortec, uh, the other day, he mentioned about a mini budget, but there's nothing mini about it because the implication is <laughs> it's, it's never been spoken all over the world. So. So uh, also it's, uh, and the, the direct implication is one of the worst in terms of uh, tax uh, for the last 50 years, 50 years. So that's something uh, what the conservative, the Tory party is called a mini budget. Uh, more to that, also at the same time, they, their, their pound sterling is uh, weakening, I think in the, the lowest for the last 30 years, if I'm not mistaken against the uh, United States dollar. So again, that's a double blow if you're the uh, Britons in, uh, in the UK right now, uh, looking at your money currently uh, worth less, uh, almost, almost, almost a dollar uh, compared to last year. So I think this just too, it's uh, what's happening, but, but we can talk more about uh, what are the implications, especially to the normal Britons in the in UK today. What do you yeah. think about it, Eddie? Yeah, so just for everyone's, um, just a bit of context for everybody. So right now, UK is going through an economic crisis. It has uh, quite, um, for the last few years, it has been 
experiencing a decline in growth, uh, inflation rates are high, and with the onset, with the post-pandemic recovery, with the whole economic disruptions that the whole COVID pandemic has brought about across the world, UK has also been hit uh, just as hard as anybody else. So right now, the current, uh, the newly appointed Prime Minister, Liz Truss from the Conservative Party, uh, along with the Chancellor Kwasi Karteng, was just announcing um, tax cuts on a scale which Hafiz mentioned is unprecedented in the history of uh, UK or possibly even the world. So this raises a lot of suspicion for me. It's, um, it, it's, it's, I think I'm going to have to go with the market here because the market has also went through quite a shock with this whole uh, announcement because it shows that there's uh, no confidence in uh, this whole um, big plan of theirs of cutting taxes and um, slashing it by the billions. And then what's this going to say about uh, a lot of other services uh, that the British uh, people have come to rely upon? And I think it also comes off as very, very tone deaf, in my opinion, because um, the tax cuts, especially for high income groups, especially like city traders or uh, more affluent uh, urbanites, they're going to get a bit of, um, you know, they're not going to be taxed as much. So they're going to have a bit more money in the bank, of course. It's it's very odd. Uh, but then again, I wouldn't say it would be odd because the Conservative Party has always been very uh, interested in maintaining that um, disparity of wealth. You know, the whole idea of aristocratic trickle-down economics is that if the the top are able to possess more money, then it would have uh, you know that trickle-down effect that it will somehow um, fall down into the general population, which we've seen uh, does nev never really bodes well. But other than that, is that um, it would also give a lot of, um, you know, how do you say, I, I think it's more like how it would develop is that a lot more British people would have more spending power. I think this is how I remember it. But at the same time, this is also is going to exacerbate more inflationary pressure because when there's more money circulating around, then the prices of uh, goods will definitely go up. And the fact that there's no uh, regulatory measures to make sure that the market uh, stays in balance is also very concerning. So what might happen, I think the implication is that uh, banks might raise their interest rates and that's going to make it harder for people to pay the mortgage on their houses, for regular people to be able to afford uh, certain services or even basic necessities. So it's just, I feel it's going to be a huge feedback loop in terms of uh, inflation. And this is like just a stop, it's just a measure where you're going to, uh, where what the British government is currently, it's just a stopgap measure to say that we're committed to a very exciting prospect, a very exciting era for British, for the British economy. But the writing is already on the wall. It's very tone deaf and it's just standard of the Conservative Party playbook. But this, I think, uh, would also spell disaster for them in the long run. We, the the UK has already went through how many prime ministers at this point. There's going to be the third prime minister in the last uh, few years. Um, there's, you know, with the death of a uh, long-lasting monarch, there's going to be some sense of uh, instability. So in that sense, I think this could also be uh, a, a dangerous time for the Conservative Party. And I think a lot of speculators in the market thinks that a Labour victory might actually be on the horizon come the election in about uh, 2024, 2025, I can't remember which it is, but this could also um, be a possibility that there could be a windfall for the Labour Party in the UK. So what implications do you think uh, will happen in this? 
All right. Uh, before we go to implication, uh, just uh, want to uh, say a bit more, expand from what you have said just now. Uh, IMF, Adi, IMF also has uh, issued a warning to, 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 to British government about uh, their policy that will uh, worsen the inequality in, in the UK. Uh, normally, because it's very odd, you know, IMF uh, issuing a warning to a developed uh, economy. Normally, IMF would say things like this to Sri Lanka, to Malaysia, to uh, maybe a country in Africa, not a developed country, not a first world country. So this is a very something that uh, a conservative government should look at to not just being torn deaf. Not, this is not a hearsay from uh, uh, social media or the, pub, the, the, the British public, but this is the IMF and to ignore this will uh, will give a great implication. And talking about implication, uh, the first here is uh, as a normal uh, average citizen, first one, it will be the mortgages. Uh, because certainly the mortgages, because if the interest uh, uh, interest rates is going up, definitely your interest of your mortgages will go up as well. It's either the existing loans and also new coming loans. So already several banks, uh, BNP Paribas, uh, certain banks, I think Barclays as well, they already suspended their mortgages product because uh, they can no longer selling the product at the current rate. So they have to take it back and then they will come up with a new rate. So this is a very a huge problem to, 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 to normal people that have nothing to do with the policy that being drafted by the uh, Conservative Party. Now, uh, also that another, I think another implication that to, to, uh, to, to this economy is what they mentioned is pension fund. So uh, Bank of England, uh, they, they already uh, had to intervene. Now, again, just like the IMF, IMF uh, issue, this is also something very odd that happened to the government of, uh, I mean, in the in the in, in British government uh, generally, because never in the history of Bank of England to intervene something that happened caused from the government of the British. Uh, I I I said that because before this, Bank of England only deal. It only intervened when there was something happened externally. So COVID happened, they have to step in because this is not this is not a man-made issue. This is uh, this is this is something that happened all, all throughout the world. That nothing you can do. It's external issue here. Uh, maybe war, uh, whatever. So these are external issues. Today, what happening by the intervention of Bank of England is. Is, is, is something that caused by announcements of their own government. So he, Bank of England here playing a, uh, playing a role to put out the fire, the government of the, the government of the day today in, in the UK tried to, to, to make the fire even bigger. So this is, this is a very counterproductive uh, by, by these two biggest biggest, uh, biggest uh, party in the UK. And the, the 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 normal people have to pay for it uh, in terms of their mortgages getting high and also their pension fund that could potentially be depleted by the end of their uh, tenure. 
So this is something very dangerous, Adi. It's not it's not something that you can see in front of your eyes. It's not something physically, but uh, when when you know the implication in terms of pension and also uh, mortgages, this will affect a lot of people because people have pension and people have mortgages. This is a starter kit for everyone that uh, has uh, that uh, part of the working work labor force. Yeah, definitely. Like having the IMF and the Bank of England, you know, very uh, big institutions, one being uh, definitely a huge national institution, international institution, making these kinds of uh, actions, mobilizing to say that this is a bad idea, uh, says enough already that this really is a very bad idea and a terrible way to generate growth. We would expect these kinds of uh, tax tax cuts for a developing country. So in a way, the UK is a developed country that's acting like a, an emerging market, where it's already exactly. an established market. It's very, it's very odd, to say the least. But also, I think they, if they don't even have confidence in the policy itself. Because um, I think it was Kwasi Kwarteng that says that you know, there will be no um, forecasts allowed by the Office of uh, Budget Responsibility. And this is a office uh, institution within the British government that allows for forecasting of, uh, of the budget. And this allows for more scrutiny and for the public to be able to access and have more transparency in how this mini budget uh, is being conducted and how people's money is, how the British government is going to tackle these kinds of, um, this economic crisis. So uh, the situation that they've landed themselves in, it's a very um, awkward situation. It's, it's very Reagan-esque, you know, it goes back to the same uh, idea that uh, Ronald Reagan had in the 80s with the whole trickle-down economics idea. And like you said, it's going to exacerbate the whole income inequality between the, the rich urbanite elites and uh, regular people that are outside of the, in the suburbs. So it's a very um, odd situation, but I think it was, it's a move as well to brand uh, this newly minted prime minister and also to have a sort of uh, an ushering of a new symbolic uh, era so to say, with the new uh, King Charles III being uh, ascending to the throne. But it is, I think this is a horrible way to start it. And I think the queen kicking the bucket uh, is just a symbolic omen of uh, things to come and challenges to be had uh, for the people of the UK. So I think I'm, I'm going to be looking into this uh, as it develops. And at this current moment, I've been talking to a few friends of mine also in the UK. Some of these have been known to be uh, supporters of the Conservative Party and also having doubts about this. So that says a lot already. That um, can we can we still see the Conservative uh, Party support base still maintaining a solid foundation uh, after the onslaught of uh, all kinds, all manners of uh, situations and issues that the UK has faced, you know, with uh, Boris Johnson and his whole uh, party gate scandal. So with uh, the death of the monarch and now a new, a new prime minister uh, acting in this way. So will we see conservative victory in the next election? Uh, who knows? But I'll leave the, seg the segue into the next topic to you, Lavis. Uh, uh, just before that, Adi, I, I, I have one last question about this uh, whole UK crisis. Uh, just immediately after, after uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer announced the mini budget, uh, there was a uh, rumor or, 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 or a lot of voices saying that he should he should resign from the post. Do you think this trust can can uh, last at least for the next six months or year? Or so, 
Now, I definitely cannot say. I'm really not sure. But, uh, you know, the Conservative Party did pick her. Usually, uh, I was really hoping to see maybe uh, Rishi Sunak actually taking the prime ministership. I guess that's never going to happen. But um, I think we have to see first and how, um, how in the next few weeks we see how this uh, mini budget is, uh, how would the Conservative Party as a whole will react to this mini budget. So I think it's still too early to say, but I think a definitive answer and or a set piece for the narrative will develop in the coming uh, weeks to see. And we definitely can tell how the public would react, but within the Conservative Party, whether or not they can take this uh, standing uh, is not we'll have to wait and see, see how it goes. That, I don't really have a definitive answer on that. Uh, yeah, because uh, if she could uh, turn out to be the winner in this, she would she can pull a miracle because it's definitely against the market it's definitely against bank of england definitely against uh imf so so she could potentially win the, uh, the next general election because she only left what one and a half or two years left uh in the tenure so i guess uh this is not a prime minister that uh, the the british people voted but this is what they deserve from the Conservative Party. So you're uh, saying this is like the, the first challenge to see if she's strong or not. La. Yeah, this is a stress test. La, or not. Yeah. Uh, uh, moving on to the next uh, issue, also in the continent of Europe, uh, slightly on the uh, east side, the North Stream pipeline has been uh, some, some uh, claim uh, sabotage. The leakages that happened in pipeline one, two, three and four according to some Swedish sources. So that's what happened. Uh, and this happened in the uh, Germany-controlled uh, territory. So uh, that's, I think that's, a, that's a important information that you need to know here to decide who's, be so who's behind this uh, sabotage. Uh, well, I, uh, you know, uh, in, this, in, the, in this podcast, we we try to be impartial with the things we have said, but of course, Adi and I have, have our own biases. But in this in this matter, uh, the 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 actors that we have here, Russia, U.S. all here, uh, I think they are all suspects to this. And uh, I think uh, let's dissect. I think by one one by one, Adi here uh, to be more uh, fair to all uh, our listeners out there. So first one, suspect. Uh, some would say it's uh, done by Russia. Now, why the argument is because uh, by by since since the invasion of Ukraine, uh, Russia have stopped switch off the switch off the pipeline, so there's no longer gas can be supplied to Germany and the rest of Europe uh, using the Nord Stream, and then uh, to avoid some uh, like a legal action by the contractor Siemens uh, that maintain all this, they would uh, cause these leakages so that it, Russia cannot be accused of doing it on their will. So they would say, hey, hey, there's some leakages we cannot supply anymore because there's a technicality issue. So Russia tried to get out of that. So I have not seen any other argument apart from that that uh, that uh, pointing out to Russia as the victim uh, as the sabotage uh, saboteur here. And second of all, we have America. Now this is very interesting. Why why I mentioned 
that the dislikages happen in the Germany uh, control area. Because uh, as we all know, the largest US base in Europe is in Germany. And uh, in the same day, only 30 kilometers away from the site of leakages, they will see US Navy ship. So this could be potentially a coincidence because it's their base, so probably it's just coincidence. But, but it would be naive to think that way also because the United States, especially Biden, has been deliberately saying that they're against Nord Stream uh, simply because this is going against their uh, United States interests because no one buying uh, energy from the uh, US. So the next alternative than Russia is US. So it is also pretty much in the interest of the United States to, to, to sabotage this pipeline so that winter is coming, Germany and the rest of Europe have no way to run to. Also, at the same time, on the same day that leakages were reported, Baltic pipeline was also uh, officiated. So this is this is a pipeline that going through uh, Poland and uh, I think some other countries going to Norway via Denmark. And these are the pipeline that will be benefited by Ukraine, by Poland, by Norway in terms of uh, what they call like uh, like a fee because it's a transit fee you know so it's going through your country so you have to pay certain uh, money to that Nord Stream, on the other hand you don't have to pay to any others it's just uh it goes straight to germany so it's uh, by the seabed on the uh, baltic sea so this is our the uh, what i call interesting uh, uh key of events that happened in the last few days that uh, would lead to first uh, Russia as a suspect and U.S. as a suspect. But Adi, to me, if you want to see the whole picture, look at who's losing, who's, who, who will gain, actually, from these uh, leakages. Now, first one, U.S. will definitely win if this happens. They, they're against this and they can supply to the Europe now because Europe now desperate for energy. That's one. They will gain from these uh, uh, leakages and other certain countries like Poland and whatnot. The losers in here are Russia and Germany. Russia because this is a pipeline that costs them a lot of money and these leakages is not uh, going to be cheap to be fixed. So why would you want to uh, damage your own infrastructure? It's no, uh, not making any sense. And the biggest victim I think here is Germany. Uh, it's it's totally uh, uh, what do you call uh, between uh, uh, rock and hard place for 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 the chancellor to 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 do what's next because uh, they cannot buy any more uh, cheap energy from Russia which is the most convenient and easiest now they have to rely on other sources especially uh, United States now which is more expensive but uh, yeah that's the only options they have facing the winter so uh, in, to quote game of thrones winter is coming at it yes definitely winter is coming <laughs> i can't be said the same can't be said for us over here in the tropics <laughs> but yeah i mean all manner of intrigue and all kinds of um suspicion and rumors abound on who or what has caused this kind of leak 
for all you know, it could have really been a freak accident. However, it was funny how a lot of uh, several governments were quick to point this as a deliberate act of uh, sabotage as to who, you know, it's left up to. I have please explain how each actors and each players benefit or are, how do you say, they're robbed of their own interests in this regard. But I, I think you did make a good point that, you know, the fact that uh, Russia also has a stake in this, it would be detrimental on their side, shooting themselves in the foot if they were the ones that were that was behind uh, this uh, leak, this uh, this event, because they don't have to damage their own infrastructure. They can always uh, find a way to just you know, disrupt the supply chain, and that would be a much more cost-effective measure to do so. However, it would be more obvious and would just uh, uh, flare up more tensions between Russia and uh, the and Western Europe and the USA, but seeing how the USA can benefit from this, it wouldn't be too far to suspect uh, some kind of American element at play here. But it's funny how this still, it, despite this happening, it's still accented behind the whole uh, theater of uh, conflict happening between Russia and uh, Ukraine at the current moment. So yeah, currently, uh, Ukraine on the counteroffensive, uh, surprisingly, and with Russian uh, supply lines and logistics under tremendous stress due to this new counteroffensive. Uh, maybe this is also an elaborate uh, plot, uh, just a few months. It could be an elaborate plot for uh, Putin uh, to show up a sort of alternative uh, strategy to have some legitimate means to continue this conflict and pursue uh, his interests uh, in Ukraine. Uh, I think um, what's in the works right now for Russia is plan the planned annexation of Ukraine. Like they have uh, planned the uh, new tax system new administrative um, policies to uh, within the areas of uh, occupied regions such as Luhansk, Donetsk, uh, um, Kharsom and uh, others, other occupied territories. So that means Russia is now mobilizing to make sure um, since the military has failed, Putin's going to try an administrative uh, approach to annexing uh, Ukraine with these kinds of uh, policies. And I think they're going to be holding a referendum because uh, According to the Kremlin, a lot of these occupied regions in Ukraine has uh, they claim that these regions are pushing for self determination to choose if they want to be part of Ukraine or Russia. So this could be just another um, elaborate idea for Russia to uh, gain its own support base to push for this referendum. However, I think that's still a far fetched idea. Uh, regardless, I think this is still going to exacerbate a lot of uh, energy issues that has already been. Um, in the backdrop since the whole start of this uh, conflict. Like you've seen uh, rising oil prices in, uh, in I think, most of the world with this whole disruption, with the war disrupting uh, the supply chain. And this is just going to exacerbate the issue. But I want to add also another victim of this uh, situation. is isn't just like state actors, but, um, you know, of course, we should just also mention the environmental effects as well. All this methane gas being released and how much how many millions of uh, dollars going to be used to just clean up, clean it up? Um, so it's it's a very um, interesting event, uh, one of many that we can still play attached towards the whole uh, conflict that's happening in uh, Russia and Ukraine. But uh, you mentioned that um, how this can also this is also plays to uh, American interests. Do you think this is also a way to uh, disarm Russia in a way also to prevent them from? Um, having sufficient infrastructure or to also shore up, uh, you know, pin the blame on Russia to shore up more NATO support 
so that more action can be taken um, to to intervening in this conflict. Because I think in that in the security in the UN Security Council, there was a motion for Russia to for the annexation of Ukraine uh, to Russia, which was obviously rejected. Funny enough, China abstained from the vote. Uh, but just on that note, uh, do you think this is also like a 4D chess kind of move from America to build up more support for intervention with the NATO states? This. Uh, yeah, b before we go to that, uh, I also read the very funnily remark on Twitter about like, hey, where's Greta Thunberg uh, uh, when the leakages happen? Because it's a, a lot of environmental effect on uh, uh, on these leakages. So yeah, it's kind of funny that there were uh, there was silence on the Greta Thunberg uh, part there. Uh, on on about uh, NATO and uh, America uh, role here, I think I think this is. Uh, you know, uh, back in February when the war uh, started and everything just uh, fall unfolded into what happened today, uh, day by day we can see that what happened in, 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 in Ukraine, I think it's no longer about NATO. NATO is just a proxy here. Uh, uh, Russia doesn't care about NATO. But again, this is... This is uh, America uh, defending their interests. And their interest uh, in point here is American dollar. Do you notice that American dollar against almost all currency in the world, uh, they are strengthening? So this is not something coincidental. I think this is based on what they've been plotting for the past few months uh, since the invasion of Ukraine. They try to leverage themselves on the position that uh, 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 this will happen. They, they anticipate what Russia will do. So they leverage on that and look at where we are now. In October, America is uh, going green against almost all major currencies. So that's one indicator there. So anything that, uh, uh, you know, I try to see all incidents uh, to who gain from all this. So. So obviously, NATO being a persistent there, uh, definitely defending America's interests, and and China role here. China try to be, try to be. Uh, what do I call also in the in the dilemma? Because because uh, as we know, uh, China also uh, have uh, bought a lot of treasury uh, bond of the United States. So they don't want to see in terms of uh, United States uh, Treasury bond uh, going collapse because their their hard earned money will will be devalued as well. So in terms of uh, how they play a role, uh, being abstained in the uh, uh, UN uh, recently is just to show that they you know they not pro uh, the war, but also at the same time not going to support the America for obvious reason. So this is a very hard, I think, a very hard conversation uh, Xi Jinping had to have with Putin, uh, I think, last week or the last two weeks when they met in, in uh, I think, I think they met in Kazakhstan or in, somewhere in Central Asia. So that's, I think, uh, a very hard conversation by Xi Jinping. And I think moving forward, uh, as we know, American businesses moving away their production line also, especially Apple now moving to India. Uh, China will suffer in terms of how uh, they can sustain their growth. So that's China's problem. So, 
So, so to, to, to continue to have the growth that they have for the last decade is they have to, uh, to bring new allies. And hopefully, uh, Russia can be, uh, uh, now that they are isolated, they will welcome any other isolated countries as well here. Uh, maybe, uh, who else are we talking about? Maybe Venezuela, certain countries that uh, uh, being, uh, of course, uh, not Korea as well. So this country will team teaming up and we can see these two uh, hegemony to uh, clash head on. And uh, are they ready for the Amagadon? <laughs> Speaking of China, I, I was was there really a kudo in uh, Beijing? Because I can't, I can't remember, I didn't follow up with the story. Mm. Sorry? There was there was a rumor going about that uh, Xi Jinping was ousted in the coup. I wonder so that was unfounded, lah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he was he was missing for for a few days and then he made an appearance. Yeah, but I think it's just media sensationalized people. Maybe Xi Jinping had a holiday or something. Just like oh, look uh, at him, where is now? Yeah. So I guess when Jack Ma disappeared, I guess that has nothing to do with the Chinese government, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, you know, it's amazing how some of these um regional uh, issues also has a huge implication and ramifications on the global stage at large here like china also having some kind of hand in this uh, or interest in this conflict america definitely uh, has interest in it as they do in every other conflict across the world so in terms of this uh do you think that this is going to be a close and shut kind of case or do you think more um, developments might come out of this uh this episode here is it just going to be an awkward footnote um, that everyone's just going to ignore and go back to the main theater of conflict, or do you think that this could escalate um, certain tensions that are already there? I think I think Adi, we are barely there. Like this is just a warm up to something even bigger. Now, why do I say that? Because uh, like 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 you uh, acknowledged just now, like everyone have their uh, own interest, even though on the surface they are actually seen as uh, quote-unquote enemies, you know, like America, China, whatever, uh, uh, Russia and America also. But also, they have interconnected in so many, in so many ways, uh, economically, culturally, uh, geopolitics and whatnot. So uh, by doing one move, they will implicate the other things as well. So like, um, I just want to mention today's... Uh, a hot topic also credit suisse is on the brink of uh, bankruptcy now uh switzerland as we know is very neutral uh country there we've not side with anyone uh, uh, they can do business with everyone and that's uh switzerland that we know and love today because of this as well because of their uh, uh principle uh, a lot of money that have uh, been invested, especially Russian uh, oligarch in the Switzerland bank. Now that uh, uh, America, especially, uh, you know, the West and Euro, whatever, America, led by America, they want to pressure Switzerland to, to, to do something about this fund. Because as we know, uh, these are the funds that are being used to, to, to fund the war. And... Uh, uh, Credit Suisse now uh, in the brink of bankruptcy, I think because America telling their investors to pull out their money from uh, Credit Suisse. And this is a big threat to Switzerland because Switzerland, uh, as we know, uh, apart from their chocolates, we know about their banking system. 
where everyone is treated equally. So uh, it will be interesting, Adi, what Switzerland will decide uh, within this week on their policy of uh, Credit Suisse. Some say Credit Suisse is too big to fail, but some say would say that's what they say about Lehman Brothers back in 2000, I think 2008. So uh, the, big, the bigger question here, uh, the first implication that we can see is uh, in terms of economics. UK now in uh, in, uh, in 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 very uh, deep uh, hot water now in terms of economy, Switzerland as well, uh, certain few countries in Europe, Germany with their problem with uh, finding who's going to supply their energy and winter is coming. So you can see this uh, dynamic of uh, struggle of their own. So if they don't come together and solve the problem and find the root cause that, hey, this all lead up to one country. I'm not, I'm not uh, pointing fingers here that America behind all this, but, uh, you know, you make your own judgment. You, you read the news out there and then you make your own judgment. I'm just going to say what I think here because all the trail leading up to America. And if the sooner that they realize who, uh, who doing what and, and not... Uh, try to solve the problem. That would be idea. What I, the reason I say there would be more uh, uh, calamity to happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this conflict isn't really going to disappear overnight. And I don't know if I could find it comforting or just sad to see, but um, the fact that a lot of other countries is going through a tough time as well. Um, I guess that's a bit of comfort to know that we're not the only ones having our own issues at the country. That's a very pessimistic thing to say. In yeah. a way, it's like misery loves company, right? <laughs> but yeah. In any case, it's um, I, I'm more I'm very interested to see how, if anything, will this how will this affect or escalate tensions uh, in the conflict in Ukraine? Now that we've seen that Russia is sort of uh, on the back foot here, and a lot of pressure is coming to actually. Uh, escalate the conflict by deploying um, more uh, more troops, more infantry, with, and especially better equipped um, military uh, to to respond to this uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive. And will that in turn lead to America and the NATO powers continuing to uh, increase their funding and spending um, towards the Ukrainian military? Now, going back to what I mentioned before about Russia annexing parts of the Ukraine, this is also quite. Um, uh, this is a bit of a segue from the whole gas leak thing, but um, this does have a lot of geopolitical implications because now it frees up more territories for uh, Russia to mobilize their nuclear deterrences closer closer to the black closer to the sea. So this would put it under uh, uh, enlarge their nuclear umbrella, um, becoming more effective as a deterrent in terms of vis-a-vis uh, -vis Western Europe. So. This gas leak is one episode among many, many other episodes that have things surrounding this conflict. And the fact that we've found a way to relate it to that conflict shows that the conflict itself is far reaching and it's able to garner a lot of uh, certain reactions. But it would be very interesting to see uh, where this follows up. But I think I don't really have much else to say on this uh, particular issue. So I'll just leave it to you, Abyss. Yeah, maybe just one last thing about this whole issue, uh, Adi. Uh, the other day, Putin said he will not hesitate to use nuclear power uh, to to retaliate. Uh, do you think he's bluffing or not? 
and that's the funny thing really like um it's like when you shoot a gun for the first time right if uh law soldiers would have this report where they, if they killed their first person uh you know it's trembling because you took a life then you're forced to get used to it so you know um the for the point of nuclear weapons is to act as a deterrent to make sure no one does anything with it because of mutually assured destruction but you know firing one um, very unprecedented and i think this also has to be a like putin can say what he likes but if the public accepts it or even his own officials and his own government are able to accept it is another thing because his support can dwindle anytime if let's say um they hold do these referendums do happen and there's a surge of ukrainian counter offensives that aren't and the russians aren't able to protect the polling stations for this referendum then it's just going to backfire on putin uh, destroy his credibility in terms of protecting these people for self-determination if it succeeds then it's just going to bolster more support um, for putin showing that he does have the capability and competency to manage this conflict so it can you know based on what his statement of using nuclear power uh, as of now it's a very it could be an effective deterrent but um it still needs to fall under the strategy of amassing uh, public approval and public opinion i'm not saying that um it's not outside the realm of possibility that nuclear weapons are deployed but it is an extreme scenario and but even if it's an extreme scenario it's still uh possible so i'll just give that as my answer all right yeah uh, i think on that note uh, we almost come up to the hour mark here as usual we're going to do podcast uh, about an hour and we discussed it at length uh, russia here just to recap Russia and uh, the leakages from Nord Stream. We talk about a uh, UK economic crisis. We talk about uh, something domestic and very near to us, uh, Dumai and Malacca link. So uh, to listeners out there, if you're listening this on Spotify and any other platform, uh, please reach us on the uh, uh, Facebook or anywhere else that you can find us uh, to suggest maybe any topics because uh, Adi right now, there's a lot of topics going on as uh, what we talk about and also what's happening in Iran. I think that's something that we can talk about in the uh, next episode. Yeah, uh, Not just that, yeah. I think like most of these topics are quite like they popped up quite recently, like in the last week, but there's so many other topics to cover that I mean, half this one's exactly. like the past few yeah. months, like the Sulu thing was a huge issue in Malaysia. So um, yeah. maybe you could revisit that one day as well. And Iran yeah. also a huge international attention as well. That could also be a potential thing to look into. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, there's a recently a Sulu Air representative in uh, the Netherlands trying to seize uh, Malaysia, Malaysia asset in there. So I think Iran and that Sulu thing could uh, be discussed in the next episode. So maybe it's a sign for us, Adi, to do this more frequently. Yeah, definitely. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so with that, uh, uh, see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye for now. All right. Good night, everyone. Right. Good night.